Amen. Thank you so much. And again, thank you, veterans. And thank God for our freedom. Amen. Ephesians in chapter number 5. One very brief verse this morning. And uh, we've had extra time with our preliminaries and time well spent. Uh, but I want to share the Word of God with you. And uh, I want to have your mind and heart for a few minutes. From this one verse, Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 10. Ephesians 5 and verse number 10. And I'm going to ask you to remain seated. I'll read the verse for you and jump right into the message. Ephesians 5.10 simply says, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. Prove it. Prove it. Father in heaven, we love you. We need you as the preaching of thy word goes forth now. May it go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. May thy spirit work through me and help enable me, empower me, but also be with these that hear that their minds and hearts will be open to thy truth from thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. In Malachi, the Bible tells us to prove the Lord in the matter of giving, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that you shall not have room enough to receive it. Malachi chapter 3 and verses 8, 9, and 10. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is a, uh, a spirit, and it's not a new spirit. There's no new thing under the sun. There's a spirit among us in this day and age, and that is, I'm not going to believe anything unless you make the effort to convince me. And yet the Bible says the burden of proof is upon us. God is faithful. God is faithful. Pulled down here to a little community years ago on a Thursday evening. And uh, I tried to witness to folks, hadn't had anybody listened to me yet. And I saw a couple guys sitting at the picnic table. And I said, there we go, I'll talk to them. And I pulled over there, jumped out, gave them a gospel track. One of them said, what's God ever done for me? And uh, I wanted to say, well, you mean other than the air you're breathing right now that make that smart out of comment with? Friends, listen to me. If you haven't figured out what God's done for you, the burden is on you, not on God. You know, God's never done anything for me. Prove that. Try proving that. Just let's take one thing God gives us. How about oxygen? Let's try, you prove that God's never done anything without using the oxygen He's given you right now. Just, let's take the oxygen away. We'll leave everything else. We just take the oxygen and prove that God's never done anything for you. It won't go well. Now I say this, my dear friend. Listen, the idea that I can dabble in unbelief and that somehow, uh, somehow it's God's fault that I'm not a believer. Somehow, it's on God. God, uh, 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 and, and, the, and the, the, uh, the, the pride 
in that. That somehow, uh, 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 because I don't know something. The, 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 the Pharisees, uh, said, uh, 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 to the, uh, 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 to, to the man that, that Jesus healed. It, it, it was blind and, and Jesus healed him. And they said, well, we don't know who that guy is. Now, let me tell you something. Just because you know something, if you don't know something, let me tell you what that proves. It just proves you don't know something. If you're ignorant about something, it only proves one thing. You're ignorant about something. But the insinuation is because I don't know, it can't be true because I don't know it. The insinuation of that is I'm the sum total of all wisdom and knowledge. And if I hadn't figured it out, it can't possibly be true. Would you stop and think for a minute just exactly how arrogant that is? There's a God in heaven and, 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 and my dear friend, the burden of proof is upon you. The burden of proof is upon you and I. I sat next to the Chinese man a couple years ago on an airplane and, uh, and, uh, tried to bring up the, the, the subject of, uh, of, uh, the Lord and, 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 and the, and the Word of God. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I don't believe, in, I don't believe in God. And, uh, I don't want to talk about religion. And he was an exchange student. He was going to, I think, the uh, University of Cal- uh, California at Berkeley, if I remember right. But anyway, he was uh, in uh, biochemistry. And, uh, and so, uh, so, wow. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, I said, well, uh, all right, we won't, we'll talk religion then. I said, uh, do you have a worldview? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, do you have a way that you, you look at the world? He said, well, I guess I do. I said, like, like, like where did the world come from? He said, well, the world, see, uh, the, it evolved. He started giving his evolutionary philosophy and so forth like that. And, uh, and, he, and he, he talked about uh, uh, the, uh, uh, how that uh, uh, life evolved and so forth. And, and so uh, I, I said, well, I said, what, 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 what evolved? He said, well, you know, this, uh, and uh, he gave some scientific explanation or something. Uh, some, uh, uh, I said, well, what, where, where, where did that come from? We went back about three or four steps. I can't even repeat all the very scientific sounding things he said. And we got all the way back to cosmic dust. I said, wow. I said, all this came from cosmic dust. He said, yeah. I said, you know what? That's an amaz- some amazing dust. I said, you think about that. How that that's some amazing dust. I said, that, that dust had to have intelligence and Power in that little piece of dust. I mean, intelligence and power and life in that piece of dust. I said, That's an amazing piece of dust. He said, you know, yeah, it really is, isn't it? I said, it is. I said, it's like that dust was like all-powerful, like all-knowing. And since everything came from it, it had to always be here because if it wasn't, then there was something else more powerful and smarter. But since it started with that, that means it was always that. It was like, it's always here, all-knowing, all-powerful. I said, man, that that's... He says, oh, you're trying to get me to talk about religion. Let me tell you something. The evidence is there. The evidence is there. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. 
day into day uttereth speech, and night into night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath they set a tabernacle for the sun. The heavens declare the glory of God. I don't know if you noticed this week, but an incredible display of evolutionary creativity happened this week. This week, while you were away, a beautiful picture evolved on the front of this pulpit. Did you notice that? Look at that, the creativity. And to think that it came by itself from a box of crayons. Absolutely amazing. Now, it took a long time, took all week to do it. But but there it is. So it's proof. It proves that proves that proves the evolution of the crayon. As a preacher, that's ridiculous. You're right. It took two weeks. Oh, yes, they were. Actually, it didn't take two weeks. It took two months for those crayons to evolve. That's not enough time? All right, how about two years? Is that enough time? That's not enough time either. How about 200 years? How about 2 million years? How about 2 billion years? How about 200 billion years? Why does the amount of time make it any less ridiculous than seven days? That picture, which I took off my door this morning, was the creation of a young lady in this room right now, Bailey Miller, sitting right over here. Colored that picture for preacher, and I put it on my door. Now, you know what you... You know what you instinctively knew when you came in here and looked at that picture? You knew somebody drew a picture. Well, listen, if you can look at a painting of a tree or a painting of the ocean, if you can look at a piece of artwork and say, oh, that's so creative. We even, we even call it the creative arts. And if you can look at a, a picture and know that it had to have a creator, then how in the world can you look at the tree that the artist painted and say, well, that was an accident, but the painting is not? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Tell you something else amazing that happened this week. I don't know if you noticed, but while you slept the last seven days, someone perfectly ordered these cups. I mean, they just showed up. They just appeared. And look, they're all turned the same way and the same distance. Perfectly in order. Isn't evolution amazing? No. About 8.15, I went to the kitchen, got a stack of cups, came in here, and set them just like that. I know you're disappointed. I'll tell you something else amazing. Last week I had an appointment in Monroe, North Carolina. I had to go down 49. And you know, there's some cotton fields going down 49 on your way to Charlotte. And I am right now, not going to show it to you, but I'm wearing right now a white 
cotton t-shirt. And it's going to surprise you. Let's hear where I got it. I was driving down 49, and they had just harvested the cotton. And the big, huge rolls of cotton wrapped in yellow plastic. Have you seen those? Okay, all right. And there was something poking out of the corner of that roll of cotton. And I was so curious as to what it was, I pulled off the side of the road, and I went there and stuck my hand in there, and I pulled out a T-shirt. And it's just my size, and it fits great, and it's soft. Isn't evolution amazing? Now, friends, you listen to me. You listen to me very carefully. Listen. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. We go to such great lengths to deny Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. And may I say... If you can cut out Genesis chapter 1, then you can just cut out the rest of your Bible. If the first verse in the Bible, the first chapter in your Bible is not trustworthy, then nothing else is. But I submit to you the evidence is there. The evidence is there. The design of the t-shirt, the design of this suit that I'm wearing, uh, uh, the order that you see in the universe. Our universe is perfectly ordered. If we were a few miles closer to the sun or a few miles further away, we'd either burn up or we'd freeze to death. The creativity of God that you see in the animal kingdom the creativity of God that you see in the handiwork of the stars are all evidence of a creator. You would never in a million years imagine that my suit evolved or that those cups got there on their own or any painting uh, somehow uh, can you. No, there's evidence of a designer, evidence of a creator. Listen, you say, well, I, you prove it to me. Prove it to me. Let's put that back on you. Show me something in this universe that's getting better. The scientific principle of increasing entropy, which means things are decaying, not getting better. You go buy you a brand new Cadillac Escalade and go park it out in the field and come back 15 years later, and you know what it'll be? A BMW. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what it'll be. It'll be a beat-up rust bucket with rats and rat-infested beat-up rust bucket. Why? Because listen, listen, this, this 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 Bible right here is 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 evidence. The world around you is evidence. This ancient record is accurate. Take your Bibles, turn to Job twenty six. Get your Bible and follow me. Get your Bible and follow me. This book, written over a period of fifteen hundred years, about forty different authors. Hundreds of years removed from each other. And yet a book that's in complete harmony. Job in chapter number 26. And look at verse number 7. The Bible says that He, God, stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. The oldest book written in the Bible is the book of Job. Science teaches us what the Bible taught us in Job 26 verse 7, that earth floats freely in space. Ancient materialists believed that the world rested on the back of a huge turtle. And that turtle stood on the back of a large elephant, and that earthquakes were caused by the elephant shaking himself. 
You say, oh, that's so ridiculous. But may I remind you that Charles Darwin's 1859, that's less than 200 years, 167 years, Charles Darwin's 1859 theory of evolution is a Johnny-come-lately idea when it comes to explaining away Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Ridiculous didn't begin with an elephant makes earthquakes. Ridiculous didn't begin with nothing exploded and evolved into everything. Any explanation apart from a divine creator who ordered the universe, who painted the, uh, the sunsets every morning fresh and new, and the sun, uh, uh, sunsets every evening and the sunrise uh, every morning, is still alive and still well and still doing his, still doing his job day after day after day. Amen. And your Bible is scientifically accurate. Go to Leviticus in chapter number 15, back uh, further toward the beginning of your Bible. Uh, Leviticus and chapter number 15. And look with me at verse 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Third book of your Bible. Chapter 15. Look at verse 13. Mark it. God is giving instructions to His people. He's giving them sanitary rules to live by. God's a clean God, by the way. He's a clean God. And we ought to live clean. We as God's people ought to be clean. Our homes ought to be clean. We ought to have good hygiene. That's a biblical principle. Verse 13, And when he that hath an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. May I say this, my dear friend, many, many, many centuries before we knew what a germ was, before Louis Pasteur's uh, 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 first uh, developed the, uh, uh, the modern uh, theory of germs, in 1860s. Centuries before that, God told His people, you clean up. You be sanitary. This is just one of many passages you could look at. God said, you wash your hands. Uh, some blood, uh, wash your hands. Wash your hands in running water. What was God doing? God was protecting His people from the many diseases that had riddled the nations around them. In 1840, Ignaz Simmelweis worked at the, uh, excuse me, 1846, worked at the Vienna General Hospital in the labor and delivery. And he made an observation. He noticed that on one particular ward, there was an 18% mortality rates of mothers giving birth when the doctors assisted them. On other wards where the midwives assisted the mothers, there was a 2% mortality rate. They called it uh, childbed fever. There's another word for it. It starts with a P. I don't remember it. But, but they called it childbed fever. And he noticed that in the ward where the doctors were delivering the babies at the Vienna General Hospital, there was almost one in five mothers were dying of this childbed fever. Whereas it was just uh, 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 two out of a hundred in the other wards. And he began to think and he began to meditate on this. And he came up with an idea and he said, I'm going to try this. He, he thought about those doctors. The doctors uh, at that time uh, 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 would, would go from one patient to the other without uh, what we consider just basic sanitation now, without washing their hands. They would even, when a mother died,
died. They would even go and, and do an autopsy on the mother to try to discover why so many mothers were dying. And they do it, go in there and do an autopsy. Then they go down the hallway and assist another mother. And, and what was happening is, obviously, the germs were on the doctor's hands. They weren't washing their hands. And Mr. Mr. Simmelweis, in the ward he was in charge of, began to instruct everyone there to wash their hands in a chloride substance, wash their hands in water, running water and a substance, and his mortality rate dropped down to next to nothing. And from that, he said to his colleagues, he said, there's some, there's some way you're passing the disease to these mothers. And if you guys will just wash your hands, it'll save lives. And they mocked him and jeered him and pushed him out of medicine. And 20-some years later, Louis Pasteur confirmed what that dear man had surmised. You know what they could have done? Uh, they could have just read Leviticus chapter 15. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus 17. Turn over two chapters to verse number 17. Look at verse number 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Some of you have blood tests this week. They pull your blood. They test your blood. There's information in the blood. Our first president, George Washington... uh, In order, an attempt to save his life... They put leeches on his body. They bled him. The theory back then was that somehow... uh, 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 That uh, uh, if we get that bad blood out of you... uh, uh, Then uh, somehow it could save your life. And, 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 And how many people were literally bled to death... Because we didn't understand what the Bible already taught us... That the life of the flesh is in the blood... Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Right after the Psalms and Proverbs, the book of Isaiah chapter 40. In verse number 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. As you well know, many people for centuries believed that the earth was flat. Well, guess what? God's people knew that it was a circle. Amen. There's still some flat-headed people trying to talk about a flat earth today. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. It's scientifically accurate. Go to Psalm 8. Psalms. Back up a couple books. To the book of Psalms and chapter number 8. In the Bible, we find oceanography. In Psalm 8 and verse number 8, the Bible said, The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the, notice it, the paths of the sea. The paths of the sea. How in the world does a turtle go hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles? How do these migrating sea creatures go from one continent to the other in the amount of time? How do they do that? Because of the paths of the sea. Those who navigate the waters and those who do business in ships know about these paths and these currents of the sea just as those who fly the air know about the jet streams and so forth. My dear friend, God's word is historically and scientifically accurate. 
Take your Bibles and turn with me to Job. Back up one book to the book of Job and chapter number 38. Verse 35. Job 38, 35. Here we have light waves and radio waves. In verse 35, canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, here we are. Can you hear me now? Go all the way back to Genesis in chapter 2. The first book of the Bible, Genesis in chapter number 2. Genesis in chapter 2. The Bible said, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. There's a hundred billion stars in our galaxy, and there's two trillion, we know of two trillion galaxies. Verse 2, On the seventh day God ended His work, which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work, which he had made. The laws of thermodynamics, that is a very simplified explanation, I readily admit. But the laws of thermodynamics teach us that there are, there's no new matter or energy being created and that no existing matter or energy is destroyed. That matter and energy can be neither created or destroyed, only changed into another form. The sun produces energy in the form of heat and light and travels to the earth. The tree receives that sunlight and through the process of photosynthesis converts it into wood or matter. Thus it goes from energy to matter. You cut the tree down and throw it on your campfire and the fire converts the matter back into energy in the form of heat and light. The heat and energy from the fire is then transferred to your marshmallow and it toasts it and it heats it. And then you eat the marshmallow and you digest it and your body turns it back into Metabolic energy, calories, when you digest it. Nothing was destroyed. Nothing was created. It just changed its form from energy to matter, back to energy, back to matter. And my dear friend, listen to me. The Bible tells me, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. We're finished. We're finished. We're finished. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is historically accurate. If you look at the terrain, at the end of the south uh, of, of the Dead Sea in Israel, where Sodom and Gomorrah once were, a city has been excavated. That was completely destroyed, nothing left, never rebuilt, destroyed by the archaeological evidence by fire. And if you look at a topical 
view of that area and you see the uh you see the the uh the soil and the topography of the land how that from the mountainous regions the rain comes and washes away the soil from that region and you follow that path down to where it heads toward the sea to make its water where the water is carried down to the sea you will find in these and, and, and uh, strong storms come there's many many places like this in that portion of Israel where it's, it's, it's like when you take a bucket of water and pour it on uh, 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 dirt and mud and and there's uh, paths in the mud. You can, you can go down there and you can follow where that water takes that soil that was there on top of those, of that region where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And you can, that soil through the years, through the centuries has been washed down and you can follow that terrain and you can literally go into that terrain and you can pick up golf ball size sulfur balls. They are in the walls where the sediment has has deposited century after century, and you can get you get you a knife or something scratching the dirt right there, and you'll see another one. You can pull it out. You can hold it in your hand. You can get you a match. You can get you a lighter, and you can set it on fire. Now you listen to me. You go back uh, and uh, 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 having been at Jericho, where the walls of Jericho fell down, the Bible says those, you, the, 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 the walls came down and they went up into the city. Jericho was an elevated city and there was a retaining wall and the city was built on the retaining wall. When the walls fell outward, they created a natural ramp so the Israelites could come up into the city. And then the Bible says they burned it with fire. On the side of ancient Jericho is a wall that fell down, making a natural ramp. And there's goods, uh, dried goods and grains and things like that that can still be seen today that were destroyed in the fire. You listen to me. My Bible is historically true. My Bible is scientifically true. And no, no doubt the greatest of all, my Bible has prophecies written centuries and centuries before Christ came and they were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and there's some more coming to be fulfilled when that trumpet blows and it comes back again. You say, well, prove it to me. Prove it to me. Prove it to me, Jesus. The burden, friend, uh, is on you. You won't be able to stand before God in unbelief and say, well, nobody showed me. I listened to Dr. Wynn's testimony in preparation for this message again. He was born and raised in a Catholic home, went to Carlsbad, California, got in the wrong crowd as a 15-year-old boy. His gang of buddies became a gang, an organized gang. And at 15, he was literally so... He was out of hope at age 15. And he set, took, took, a, took a rifle, loaded it, put it to his forehead put his thumb on the trigger, and was putting pressure on the trigger. He was reared, he was reared as, as a devout Catholic. And before that gun went off, literally while he was putting pressure on the trigger, he said to himself, I wonder where, where I'll be when I pull this trigger. He said, maybe I ought to figure that out first. 
released the pressure, set the rifle down, went and got his mama's Bible off the Catholic Bible off the shelf and began to read. The next two weeks he read and read and read and read and found out just, just a teenage boy reading the Bible on his own, literally hours a day, found out that salvation is not through sacraments and th- salvation is not through a man or through the Virgin Mary, that salvation is in the blood of Jesus Christ and he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He continued to pray and read his Bible hours a day until he turned, I think it was 17 or 18, and found Matthew 28, the Great Commission, and told his mom and dad, informed his mom and dad. He said, God's called me to go uh, to be a missionary. And he literally, against his parents' wishes, left home with one change of clothes and uh, and, and headed off to to, uh, South America and then on into Central America uh, where he met uh, a man uh, in Peru trying to witness to him. And the man said, uh, Broken English, you, you need to talk to my pastor. And uh, he held a cab and grabbed him. Uh, grabbed Kevin, went by his long hair and shoved him into the cab, took him to his pastor. His pastor witnessed to him, found out he's already saved, explained to him what baptism was, and he was baptized uh, uh, and, and began to grow in the Lord in uh, walking in the jungles with that dear pastor. At one point, that pastor stopped and said, see up on the top of that mountain. He said, several years ago, I was coming through this area on our way to do evangelistic work. And the Spirit of God said, go up to the top of that mountain. It was thick with cover. He said, I chopped my way to the top of that mountain and found a few small homes on the top of that mountain. And I came to a door with my Bible in my hand. And a little lady, way up in years, came out to meet me. And he said, I spoke to her. said, I've come to tell you about the God of the universe tell you how you can spend eternity with Him. And she looked at me. She looked at him, the missionary, and said, What took you so long? He said, What do you mean? She said, When I was a little girl, I stood in front of this same doorway, looked up the heavens and all the stars. We worship that Wood over there. That wood structure. We, but I do, there's no way that they can put all that up there. And I said, God, I want to know who you, who you are. And she said, I've been waiting for God to answer. And here you are, what took you so long? And she got saved. Can I tell you something? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The evidence is there. The ancient record is historically, scientifically, and prophetically true. Oh, my Bible tells me about Jesus Christ, uh, 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 how that He would be betrayed by a friend, prophesied in Psalm in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, prophesied in Zechariah 11, 12-13, accused by false witnesses, prophesied in Psalm 35, silent before His accusers, prophesied in Isaiah 53, 7, spat upon Isaiah 56 uh, scurs Isaiah 50 verse 6 and Psalm 129.3 beaten to a pulp Isaiah 52.14 pierced in his side Zechariah 12.10 in darkness Psalm 22.2 uh, offered vinegar Psalm 69.21 mocked uh, 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 Psalm 26.6, 7 and 8 gamble for his garments Psalm 22.18 unbroken bones Psalm 34.20 the great cry from the cross when he was forsaken by God my God my God why hast thou forsaken me Psalm 22.1 
The substitutionary sacrificial nature of His death on the cross graphically portrayed in Isaiah 53 the shedding of His blood as an offering for sin uh, all through the Old Testament with every uh, lamb sacrifice. The burial of Christ in a rich man's grave Isaiah 53.9 The resurrection of Christ forecast in Psalm 16.10 Hosea 6.2 Psalm 30 verse 3 and many other places His ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father described in Psalm 110 Psalm 66 Proverbs chapter 30, Psalms 24. You listen to me. This book is accurate. It's historically true. It's it's scientifically true. And the prophecies of this book could not be made by man. This is God's book to mankind. The evidence is there. The ancient record is there. And the many, many, many witnesses are there. Carl Hatch, who gave his testimony numbers of times from the pulpit of this church, who at 16 years of age was living on the street as a confirmed alcoholic, a drunkard, who stepped out of a bar, who from a bar in Detroit, Michigan, called his wife, Miss Ruby, in a drunken stupor and said, I'm coming home to kill you. She knew how violent he could be. She knew it was true that he would do it. He said, I'm coming home to kill you. She said, why, why, why? I've done nothing but love you and try to help you. Why? And he said, because I've done every wicked thing a man could do except murder. And I'm going to commit murder tonight. And he stepped out of that bar. And his feet hit an icy sidewalk and went out from under him. He smacked the back of his head on a concrete curb and nearly froze to death. Until hours later, someone dragged him inside. He moved in next door, working for the GM company up in Detroit, Michigan. Moved in next door to a Baptist preacher. And every day that Baptist preacher would walk out and meet him. He'd got off work at the same time. That Baptist preacher would be there to meet him. Love you, Carl. Love you, neighbor. Jesus loves you. Blank it and blank. Shut up. Don't talk to me. I don't believe in God. Next day, love you, Carl. God bless you. Praying for you. Blank it and blank. Don't pray for me. Conviction set in. Carl Hatch got saved. He couldn't read. Couldn't write. But he got born again. He won 150 souls to Christ with one verse he had memorized. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He didn't know it was Romans. He thought it was Rome. He called it Rome 10.13. Rome 10.13 said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. Don't you need to be saved? Yes, I need to be saved. Well, Jesus can save you. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Ask Him to save you. He led 150 souls to Christ on Rome 10.13. His pastor went to a nursing home. They were visiting a nursing home. And pastor's on this side of the hallway. And Carl Hatch stepped to the other side of the hallway. He's a man in bed, laying in bed. And uh, he said, Sir, I was a wicked man. I was a drunk. I did every wicked thing. But God saved my soul. And tears streaming down his face. And said, and said, You're a sinner. You'll go to hell if Jesus didn't save your soul. And the man said, I need to be saved. He said, Get on your knees. You can ask him right now to save you. Rome 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, I can't get out of bed. He said, Man, get on your knees. Don't you want to be saved? He said, yes, I want to be saved. But I, I can't get out of bed. He said, Sir, you don't. You, you want to be saved? Get down on your knees, man. Come on. 
And the pastor heard the commotion come across the hallway. He said, what's going on here? He said, Brother Hatch said, this man wants to be saved, but he won't get on his knees. The man said, I can't get out of bed. The pastor said, Carl, you don't have to be on your knees to get saved. He said, you don't? He was on his knees when he got saved. He said, boy, I really went wild then. Went in people to Christ. Listen to me. We could talk about Tom Williams. We could talk about Dean Miller. We could talk about uh, uh, Abdel Judah who stood right here. His uncle, the wealthiest Muslim in the Chicago land area. His father, one of the wealthiest Muslims in the Chicago land area who offered him $5 million uh, to work for dad for five years in a brand new Cadillac Escalator and a BMW and shoved the keys across his, his, his big uh, office desk right there on, on, the, uh, on the Gold Coast of uh, of, uh, of the of Michigan Avenue right there uh, up in downtown Chicago and that young man 20, 21 years old uh, said dad I, I can't I, God saved me and I'm called to preach and, and I've got to preach and said, and said you walk out of this office and you walk out of my life and I'll never speak to you again but he said you don't understand Jesus saved me and he called me and i got to serve him and you listen to me you read Hebrews chapter 11 of the martyrs of Isaiah who was sawn in half you read of those who were crucified every one of the disciples said John, who was boiled in a pot of oil and wouldn't die. God kept him alive so he could go to Patmos and write the book of Revelation. The rest of them crucified, dragged to death, thrown from towers. There is a century after century of witnesses who've died for the cause of Christ who will stand to testify that Jesus is alive. Heaven is real. Sin is bad. Hell is hot. And the gospel is true. You say, well, nobody proved it to me. You don't believe it because you don't want to believe it. You don't believe it because you want your own way. You don't believe it because you don't want anybody telling you what you can or cannot do. You want to live your life according to your fleshly appetites and you want no consequences. The only reason that you and I are not in hell already right now is because this morning brand new, the prophet said, His mercies are new every morning. His compassions failed on. Only reason I'm not in hell right now. I was praying this morning. I was thinking, God, thank you. A brand new batch of mercy. And then it dawned on me. Why does he have a brand new batch of mercy every morning? Because we need mercy every day. I said, Lord, thank you for not giving me what I deserve. Hey, listen to me. You want proof? You have it in your hand, probably. You want proof? Look around this auditorium. Look at that man's testimony right back. Stand up, Alan. How about that man's testimony? In a gang in Thomasville. Years ago, broke into this church, stole money from this church, went to prison, came back, walked to the back door, said, Pastor, I stole from this church, and I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. I put all the money back in the offering plate today. God did that. Amen. Did you hear me? God did that. Thank you, Alan. I love you so much, my dear friend. We go all over this auditorium. The witness of a changed life. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The burden is on you and I. Prove to me that what happened in his life is not real. Prove to me that what happened in Carl Hatch's life is not real. What happened in Abdel Judah's life is not real. What happened in Tom Williams' life is not real. You can't. Would you bow your heads, please?